Happy Father's Day weekend, and man, we're so glad to have you guys here at the Medina East Campus at Grace Church. As uh, this, uh, this morning, we are actually finishing a conversation that we have been in for the past six weeks that we've been calling Winning the Battle Within. And so if you have been with us, uh, we've had five weeks of this series, and this is the final week, our sixth week uh, together today in this conversation. And so if you're a guest with us here today, want to really extend a very, very special welcome to you if it is your first time here at Grace Church. Hey, thanks so much for being our guest, and uh, we hope you feel welcomed. Uh, and uh, my name is Tony, one of the pastors here on staff at Grace. And so if we have not had a chance to meet, if it is your first time here, man, please come and stop me in the cafe afterwards. I'd love to hear your story, how you got connected to Grace. And so if you have time to do that, uh, please do that. Be, that would be wonderful. But if you are a guest with us or if you've missed the previous weeks in this series, I have some good news and I got some bad news for you. And so I guess I'll give you the bad news first, right? That's how that works. So, so here's the bad news. The bad news is if you're just joining us, uh, you are catching us at the end of a conversation. And so what I mean by that is that if today I say some stuff or we say some stuff that maybe, you know, kind of create some questions or maybe you're, you know, you're kind of interested or you're thinking, boy, I'd like to get more information on that. It's quite possible that, that the reason that's happening is because that is stuff that we've talked about in weeks previous to this. And so I just want to let you know that. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. The good news is you can access all of the previous conversations in this series for free uh, on our website, on our podcast, on our app. All of those platforms are available to you, and we would really encourage you to get connected and catch up if you would like to, if anything we, we say today is, is uh, interesting to you. And then another piece of good news, the second thing is this. Next week, we're going to be starting a brand new sermon series uh, that we are calling Be Bold. And so if you jump in next week, you're going to catch us at the beginning of a five-week conversation that we're going to be in. And I just want to tell you, man, I am personally really, really, really excited about this next series. Like I said, it's called Be Bold. And what we're going to be talking about in that series is what does it mean to live a bold life? And more specifically, for those of us who follow Jesus, what does it mean to be bold for Jesus, to live a bold life for Christ? And I think, I think if you come and listen, you'll actually be a little surprised at what the Bible teaches about this. And it's really exciting. And so don't want you to miss that. Be bold. That is starting next week. You can jump in from week one and kind of catch the whole thing, and that would be awesome. But like I said, today we're finishing this conversation called Winning the Battle Within. And so as we conclude this conversation, I actually want to encourage you just right, right from the very beginning, why don't you grab your Bibles with me, and why don't we return to our story in Genesis. So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 50, and that's where we're going to kind of go today. We're going to pick up a little bit where we left off last week, and we're going to conclude our series by concluding the story that we've been looking at here in the book of Genesis. So grab your Bibles. Let's go to Genesis 50 and go ahead and take your Bibles and get there. If you didn't bring a Bible, page 38 in those Bibles we have provided for you. Feel free to use one of those. And then if you don't own a Bible, just take one of ours. Feel free to, to take a, a copy of the Bible. We'd love for you to have your own physical copy of the Bible so you can have it. So Genesis 50. Now, as you're finding Genesis 50 and you're, you're getting back to that chapter, again, if you are just joining us, let me recap for you a little bit of what we've been talking about in this series. So in this series, um, the big question that we've been investigating together is really this. We've been saying, how do we become people who are more like thermostats and are less like thermometers? And so if you've been with us, you know what I'm talking about. But basically what we said is this. We said that as it relates to the way that we navigate through the circumstances of life, now, there's really one of two ways you can do that, right? You can either do that like a thermostat or you can do that like a thermometer. 
And so, of course, a thermometer is an instrument that always reflects and reacts and is defined by the external conditions and climate that it finds itself in, right? So a thermometer is always at the mercy of the external circumstances that it finds itself in. We said a thermostat's different. A thermostat is an instrument that maintains a consistent internal climate regardless of what external conditions might be. And so we said, how do we become people that are more like thermostats? In other words, how do we become people who don't become defined by, uh, defeated by, determined by the external circumstances that we find ourselves in life? How do we become people instead who, regardless of what life has to throw at us, regardless of what the external circumstances might be, bad, good, you know, whatever, how do we become people who remain consistent on the inside, consistent in convictions and character and conduct? regardless of what life has to throw at us. And so that's what we've been talking about. And you might remember if you were here, the story that we've been looking at to help us with this is just this absolutely incredible story in the Old Testament. It's actually one of the most famous stories in the Bible. It is the story of a guy named Joseph. And the reason we said that we've been looking at his story together is because Joseph is a guy, and this is what we found if you've been with us, we said Joseph is a guy who experienced more extreme circumstances, quite honestly, than any of us ever will. We said that, man, Joseph's circumstances, his lows were lower than any of us will ever experience, and his highs were higher than any of us will ever experience. And we said the amazing thing about Joseph is through the roller coaster of events and circumstances in his life, Joseph maintains consistency in his character, in his conduct, in his faith, right? We said Joseph really personifies what it looks like to be a thermostat. In fact, let me just kind of give you a quick summary, just kind of a snapshot of the different circumstances that we found Joseph in. So just as a recap for some of us, but basically we said Joseph experienced some incredible circumstances. And so the, the very first one you notice, the Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 30 that when we're introduced to Joseph, Joseph is a 17-year-old young dude. The Bible tells us he comes from an extremely dysfunctional family and that he was rejected by his brothers. So the Bible tells us that Joseph's brothers hated him. In fact, they hated him so much that they plotted to murder him. And then when it came time to kill him, they changed their minds at the very last minute, and they decided instead to sell their brother into slavery. So that's how the story of Joseph begins. I mean, these are some bad circumstances. So we said, we watched Joseph. Joseph was sold into slavery as a 17-year-old young guy. He was uprooted from his family. He was uprooted from his home country. He was brought into a different country, into Egypt, where he was a slave in the household of a guy named Potiphar. And we said, what's so crazy is as we were looking at this series, we said that Joseph, when he was in that circumstance, did not allow his circumstances to defeat him. But we said, man, Joseph, when he was in slavery, he continued to be the same guy, same character, same convictions. He maintained his faith through it all. And then we said Joseph's circumstances actually went from bad to worse because you might remember in Potiphar's house, Potiphar had this wife, this crazy cougar wife who had the hots for Joseph. And so she kept coming after him, making these sexual advancements. But Joseph, even in the midst of temptation, the Bible says he didn't cave. He kept his integrity. He stood up strong within it. And the Bible says that he, that he rejected the advances of Potiphar's wife. And yet, through that circumstance, the Bible says that Potiphar's wife falsely accuses Joseph of a crime he did not commit. And Joseph lands himself in prison. And so he said that, man, Joseph's circumstances go from bad to worse to even worse. And now Joseph is in prison. And we said the most amazing thing is when Joseph is in prison and he is the victim of such severe injustice, he still does not allow his circumstances to defeat him. 
He maintains strong in his faith, maintains strong in his convictions and in his character. And then we, then we watch Joseph's circumstances take a big change. And you might remember we said that through a very unique set of kind of circumstances, Joseph found himself in front of Pharaoh. Pharaoh, who was the most powerful leader in the most powerful kingdom in the known world at that time. And we said that Joseph stood before Pharaoh. He interpreted one of Pharaoh's dreams. He basically told Pharaoh, Pharaoh, there's going to be a famine that's coming in the land. You need to prepare for it because it is going to be severe. And the Bible says that Pharaoh was so impressed with Joseph that in an instant, he promoted Joseph from being a nobody in prison to becoming the prime minister of Egypt. And we said, in a, it just in one moment, we watched Joseph go from being a nobody to now becoming the, most, the second most powerful person in the known world. More affluence, more power, more wealth than any of us will ever experience. And yet we said this, we said, through it all, what's wild is you see Joseph, even in the midst of such incredible success, he maintains his character, he maintains his convictions, he maintains his faith. And then we said, man, you watch Joseph and we watch him in a situation where his brothers come before him, the very brothers who sold him into slavery. And we said his brothers would have died if it wasn't for Joseph's provision. And, and Joseph looked at his brothers and he was at a place of power. He could have done anything he wanted to his brothers in that moment. But the Bible tells us that Joseph, rather than using that power to exact justice and vengeance against his brothers, the Bible says that Joseph chooses to forgive them. Joseph maintains his character and his convictions. He forgives his brothers he saves his brothers, saves his family. The Bible says that he has his entire family uprooted and they come and live with him in Egypt and he spends the rest of his life providing for them and caring for them. And this, you can start to see, Joseph experienced more extreme circumstances than any of us will ever experience. And yet through it all, we said that, man, here's Joseph and he personified what it meant to be a thermostat. He maintained his faith, he maintained conviction, he maintained his character regardless of where he was. It's an amazing story. It's been an amazing story to read and look at together. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to look at the final verses that close out the story of Joseph. And so our story ends here. So let's take a look. We're going to start off in verse 22. Here's what it says. So Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all of his father's family. And he lived 110 years. And he saw the third generation of Ephraim's children. And also the children of Maker, the son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Okay, so let me explain this a little bit because there's probably some names in here maybe you're not familiar with. So here's what the Bible says. It says basically Joseph lived a good long life. He lived to be about 110 years old and the Bible tells us that he not only got to see his grandchildren but his great-grandchildren. And so when the Bible talks about Ephraim and Manasseh, those were Joseph's sons and he's, the Bible says that he was able to see his great-grandchildren. And then look what the Bible says, verse 24. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and he will take you up out of this land to the land that he promised on an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110 and then they embalmed him and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt, period, the end. And there you have the end of the story of Joseph. That's how our story ends. So that's it. So I guess that means that we're done with the series and I guess we'll close early. I'll have the band come up and we'll pack it in and it's been a good series. It's good to see you guys. Hey, some of you guys are like, that would be awesome. <laughs> Best Father's Day gift ever. And uh, 
I'm just kidding. We're actually, we have a little bit longer. Um, but but here, here's what I want you to notice here. I don't know about you, but when I get to the end of this story, I don't know about you, it seems a little anticlimactic to me. Does it feel that way to you? I mean, this story is, I mean, no doubt, it is an amazing story. I've had so many people come up to me during this series and say, wow, I had no idea that the story of Joseph was so awesome. I'm like, yeah, it is. It's an amazing story. But the ending is just so abrupt, right? It's like, then he died and they put him in a coffin and that's it. And, and it seems so anticlimactic. And I'll tell you what, what else is interesting is not only is this the end of the story of Joseph, but do you notice in your Bible, this is the end of the book of Genesis, which really seems anticlimactic, doesn't it? Because Genesis begins with the creation of the universe, and then it ends with a guy in a box. And you're like, wow, that's a little bit of a, of a letdown. And, and why does it end this way? It seems like it's a bit of an abrupt ending. Now, here's what I want you to catch today. Okay, this is what I'm going to spend our whole time talking about here today. I think that this story is amazing and it's wonderful and the story of Joseph is so powerful. But I do think that with this story, if we are not careful, there is actually a danger in reading this story. And some of you are like, what do you mean? What's the danger in reading, in reading this story? Well, well, here's what I think it is. I think if we are not careful... We can read the story of Joseph, we can come to the end of it, and we can say, wow, what a really powerful story. And we can miss the bigger story. We can miss the bigger picture and the bigger story that the story of Joseph is ultimately telling us. Some of you are like, well, well what do you mean by that? Well, well, well here, here's what I mean by that. I think it's easy for us to come to the end of a story like Joseph, phenomenal story in the Bible. And I think it's easy for us to come to that and say, wow, what a great story. Joseph is an amazing guy. Look at Joseph. He always does the right thing. Look at Joseph, man. In all of his circumstances, he always maintained consistency in his character, in his conduct. Wow, what an awesome guy Joseph was. And then we can conclude that the moral of the story must be this, that you and I need to be more like Joseph, right? We can look at the story and say, here's the moral. The moral is Joseph was awesome. Therefore, we need to be more like Joseph. And so we should learn from Joseph and we should try to be more like Joseph. And let's all leave here this week and let's just try a whole lot harder to be a lot more like Joseph. Now, I want you to hear me on this, okay? I think without a doubt, it is a wonderful thing for us to aspire to be more like this guy. Without a doubt, that's awesome. Joseph's an amazing guy. So for us to want to be like him is a good thing. I think it is a wonderful thing for us to extract principles from this story to say, boy, what can we learn from Joseph that we can apply to our lives, right? That's what we've been doing for the past five weeks. I think that's right and I think that's good. But here's what I want you to hear me say. If the only thing you walk away with from this story is Joseph was amazing and I should try to be more like him, I think you're missing the bigger picture. I think you're missing the bigger story. See, I think the reason that the story ends this way is because this was never intended to be the end of the story. It was never intended to be, in fact, this is actually intended to be the beginning of the story. In fact, you know the name uh, Genesis, this book, that actually means beginnings. Genesis is a book not of conclusions, but it is a book of beginnings. It is the beginning of a much, much bigger story. To which some of you might be saying, okay, well then what is the bigger story? What is the bigger story that Joseph is telling us? 
Well, let me see if I can explain it to you. Okay, so here, here's what I want you to do with me for a second. I really need you to put on your thinking cap. All right, can I have you do that? And I'm going to nerd out on you for a second. But I promise you this is going somewhere. But I need you to track with me. All right? And here's what I mean by that. If you look at the book of, or if you look at the story of Joseph and you look at it from um, kind of a bird's eye view, like if you get the 10,000 view on the story of Joseph, you'll actually notice something very, very interesting. So let me just show it to you, okay? I want you to notice that the story of Joseph spans the latter chapters of the book of Genesis. So we've talked about this before. The story of Joseph comprises about a quarter of the book of Genesis, and it covers chapter 37. 39, 40, 41, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, 49, and 50. All of these chapters tell the story of Joseph. Now, here's a question I want to ask you, okay? Now, you don't need to be a Bible scholar to answer this question. In fact, you don't even have to ever read the Bible to answer this question, okay? Here's the question I have for you. When you look at this, the story of Joseph, do you notice that anything is missing? It's out of curiosity. What, what do you notice? What's missing? 38, right? Yeah, you don't even know the, the Bible. You just have to know how to count. That's it. And you, you can see that we're missing Genesis chapter 38. Now, this begs a really important question, right? And that's this. What happens in chapter 38? What happens in chapter 38? And it's really interesting. My guess is if you've been with us in this series, one of the things we've done is we've challenged everybody to read through the story of Joseph. And I hope you did that. It's just an amazing story. But if you did, my guess is you may have noticed that chapter 38 just absolutely does not seem like it belongs there. So the story of Joseph begins in chapter 37, and everything you know, introduces you to the character. The plot line is going great. And then all of a sudden, you read 38, and you're like, what the heck? Why is that there? And then you get to chapter 39, and it picks up right where 37 left off. And it leaves you wondering, what in the world is chapter 38 all about? And again, some of you are like, what's in chapter 38? Well, actually, you can look at it if you want to. You can leaf over a couple of pages. I won't read the whole thing, but let me summarize for you what happens in chapter 38. Chapter 38, quite honestly, not only does it seem out of place and irrelevant to the story of Joseph, it's also extremely disturbing. There is some crazy, weird stuff that happens in Genesis chapter 38. It is like dysfunctional, Jerry Springer type of stuff that's happened in Genesis 38. Like, honestly, it's one of those chapters where you're like, why is this in the Bible? Like, I don't want my kids to read this. It's kind of one of those chapters. And basically, here's what happens. I'll summarize it for you. I'll try to give you the PG-13 rated version. But basically, what happens is it's about a guy named Judah. Judah is actually Joseph's, one of Joseph's older brothers, and the story is basically about how Judah unknowingly sleeps with his daughter-in-law. And the reason he doesn't know he's sleeping with his daughter-in-law is because she has disguised herself as a prostitute so that she can deceive him into sleeping with her. She ends up getting pregnant. And then by the end of Genesis chapter 38, she has twins. And that's Genesis chapter 38. And you read it and you're like, why? Is that there? What does that have to do with Joseph? Like Joseph was just sold into slavery and th this, and that happens. And you're like, okay. And I'll just tell you, for the longest time, when I would read the story of Joseph, I would oftentimes think that doesn't belong there. I think someone made a mistake. Like whoever was writing the book of Genesis, they must have made a mistake. That doesn't belong there. That belongs somewhere else. Actually, that shouldn't be in the Bible at all, right? We should just go ahead and take that one out of the Bible. 
But I'll tell you what's interesting is it wasn't until later. In fact, it wasn't until we were doing our Christmas series here a couple years ago that suddenly it occurred to me why Genesis chapter 38 is there. Now, let me see if I can explain it this way. Do you guys ever have it when you're watching a movie? Like, you, you know, you, you, you throw on a movie or something. And, and at the beginning of the movie, everything is going good. They introduce you to the characters. The plot line makes logical sense. Every scene in the movie corresponds and connects to and builds on the previous. And then all of a sudden, somewhere in the movie, they show you another scene of something that apparently has nothing to do with anything. And at first, you're like, what does this have to do with the plot? And you're confused, but then you come to realize that later on in the movie, the reason they showed that to you is because it was important to the plot line later. Did you ever have that happen when you watch a movie before? I think this is exactly what's happening in Genesis chapter 38. You begin to understand that there is a bigger story that is being told. Some of you are like, what do you mean by that? Well, here's what I mean. So Judah ends up sleeping with Tamar. They have twins. That's Genesis chapter 38. And those kids have kids who have kids who have kids who have kids generations down the line. And then if you fast forward, by the time you get to the New Testament and you get to the Christmas story, you actually find something really, really, really fascinating. In the book of Matthew, uh, it begins the Christmas story with a genealogy. And it explains this is where Jesus the Messiah, where his lineage came from. And I want you to notice what it says. This is Matthew chapter 1. This is how the book of Matthew begins. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Now notice this. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Now who's Judah? That's Genesis 38. Who are Judah's brothers? That's Joseph and the other guys. Now look at this. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. What's that talking about? That's Genesis 38. That's, that's referring exactly to what the Bible said in Genesis chapter 38. And then it's going to go on from here to say that they had kids who had kids who had kids. And eventually, Jesus, the Messiah, was born. See, and all of a sudden, it begins to occur to you the reason that Genesis chapter 38 is included is not because it's significant to the plot line of Joseph, but because it's significant to the plot line of Jesus. There's a greater story that's being told. See if you can track with me on this for a second. Just think about this for a minute. If the story of Joseph hadn't happened, then Jesus doesn't happen. Through the story of Joseph, we get Jesus. Now, now, hear me on that. God could have done it any way he wanted to. But what you see in the book of Genesis is you see this. If Joseph had not been sold by his brothers into slavery, if he had not gone to Potiphar's house in Egypt, if he was not falsely accused and imprisoned, he would have never met the cupbearer who introduced him to Pharaoh. And if he would have never met Pharaoh, he would have never been promoted to the prime minister. And if he would have never been the prime minister, then listen, if he would have never been the prime minister... Tens of thousands of people would have died in the famine. And among those who would have died would have been Judah and his family. And through that, not only do tens of thousands of people die, and not only does Joseph's family die, but the messianic line stops. And so all of a sudden you begin to realize the author is actually trying to explain something bigger to us. There's more that's going on than just the story of Joseph. In fact, can I show you one other thing? Just show you one other thing. When you look at the story of Joseph, 
and you look at the details, just the details of his story and what Joseph went through, it suddenly occurs to you that, wow, the story of Joseph sounds extremely familiar. In fact, let me just show you what I mean. If you look at the details of Joseph's story, just think about it. Here's what Joseph went through. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. Rejected by his brothers, they tried to kill him, right? But eventually they sold him into slavery. He was stripped of his amazing technicolor dream coat. That was a sign of his father's favoritism, right? He was stripped of that. He was sold into slavery by his brothers. The Bible tells us that he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, and yet, though he was tempted, he was found righteous. And the Bible says that even though he was righteous in his temptation, he was falsely accused and he was treated as a criminal. He was thrown in prison. And yet even though he was thrown in prison and he was thrown in the dungeon, the Bible says that God elevated him to a place of power. God raised him up where he sat at the right hand of Pharaoh of Egypt. All authority was given to him in this land. And the Bible says that when Joseph had that authority, rather than using that power and using that authority to exact vengeance and revenge on those who have done harm to him, that Joseph instead used that power to forgive his brothers who had sold him. And the Bible says that he saved his family. He saved his brothers from the famine. Had it not been for Joseph, they all would have died. And ultimately, the Bible says that he accepted his family. He accepted him. He had him come and move in with him. He called them brothers. He reunited the family, and he had them come and live with him in his kingdom. And I'm just saying, when you look at the details of this story, Joseph looks at his brothers, and he says to those who tried to kill him, he says, you sold me into slavery, but I don't want you to be upset because it was through that selling that God sent me so that he could save you in spite of you. And I'm just asking you, Does that sound familiar to anybody? Because you see, you fast forward and you get to the story of Jesus. And what do you begin to notice? Well, you begin to notice that Jesus, in many ways, is a more true and perfect picture of Joseph. You notice that Jesus, in the very same way, was rejected by his own. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 11, that Jesus Christ was born into his own people, but his own people would not accept him. His own brothers had rejected him. The Bible says that like Joseph, he too was stripped before he went to the cross and he was sold. Joseph was sold for 20 shekels of silver by Judah and Jesus was sold for 30 shekels of silver by Judas, which is the Greek version of Judah. You begin to realize uh, Joseph was tempted but found righteous. Jesus in the same way in Matthew chapter 4 was led into the desert. He was tempted in every way just as we are, yet he was without sin. He was found righteous. And even though he was righteous, the Bible says that he was falsely accused and he was treated like a criminal. Died on a criminal's cross, brought down into death, but God elevated him up and brought him to a place of authority where the Bible says that now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And yet Jesus, who's been given all of this power and all of this authority, the Bible says he uses that power not to exact vengeance against us, but instead to forgive us. Jesus looked on the cross and he said, Father, forgive them. The ones who are selling me and killing me, forgive them. They know not what they do. And the Bible says that ultimately it was through that act that he saved us and that he accepted us and that those who receive him, he brings us into his kingdom to forgive us and to provide for us and to care for us. You see, all of a sudden, you begin to realize there's a bigger story 
is being told here. This, by the way, what I'm showing you, this is what scholars call typology. Here's what typology means. It's basically this idea that in the Old Testament, there are these events that occurred, and they are real historical events. So Joseph's story is not an allegory. It is a real story that truly happened. But the idea of typology is that God uses these stories to communicate and foreshadow a greater reality that is to come. The way the book of Colossians says it is like this. It says that Christ is the substance and all these things are shadows of the substance to come. This is all a picture. It's all a picture. And all of this points to a need that we all have for Jesus Christ. Now, I know some of you, I know I kind of nerded out there for a second. And some of you are probably thinking, wow, that's, that's interesting. or that's, that's intriguing. I think I hear what you're saying. But like, what's, what's the point? What's, what's, what's the point of showing me all this? And here's the point. I think that when you look at the story of Joseph, it begins to introduce you to a fifth perspective. And here's the fifth perspective. If you've been with us, we've been looking at different perspectives every week. Here's the fifth one. I think the story of Joseph teaches us this, that God is with us and he saves us. That God is with us and he alone is the only one who can truly save us. That's it. That yes, God is with me and he sees me. Yes, God is with me and he sustains me. Yes, God is with me and he sends me. Yes, God is with me and he defends me. But above all of those things and more importantly, God is with me and he alone is the only one who can save me. All of this points to my need for one who is more righteous to come to my rescue and save me. Now again, I know it's super heady and I just said a whole bunch of stuff. So let me see if I can break it down another way. Um, how many of you, out of curiosity, have ever seen the movie Rudy? You guys ever seen the movie Rudy before? Rudy Rudiker? Okay, cool. So if you've ever seen the movie Rudy, it's, it's such a famous movie, but it's, it's awesome. I, I love the, the movie Rudy. And it's been a while since I've seen it, but the whole movie is about this guy, Rudy Rudiker. And he's this young dude who his entire life, he aspires to play Notre Dame football. And so here's this guy. He has all the passion, all the enthusiasm, all the perseverance, but he has none of the natural athletic ability uh, to be a college football player. But he's, you know, persistent, and he continues through it. And you might remember if you've seen the movie, every scene in the movie leads up to this one climactic scene. You guys know the scene I'm talking about? It's the final game of the senior year, right? It's the final plays. He has not played a single play his entire college career. And now it's like the final moments. And you guys remember the entire arena of people, the whole stadium begins chanting. Remember where they start chanting? You guys remember? Rudy, right? It's hard not to do it. Like you watch the movie and you find yourself wanting to join along. Like Rudy, look around, make sure no one's watching, you know, Rudy. Rudy. You just watch the whole thing. And then the last scene happens. And the last scene is so epic, it always gives me chills. And so I thought, you guys want to see it? You guys want to watch the, the whole movie, Rudy? We could just watch it right now. <laughs> And uh, now let's just watch the final scene. Okay, this Father's Day. I thought maybe that'd be cool. So let's just check this out. This is the final scene in uh, the movie Rudy. So let's watch this.
It's such a good scene. I love it. All that for one play. That's just wild. But I, I love that movie. I love that scene. It always gives me the chills when I see it, and I love the music and the whole thing about it. But, okay, here, here's why I show that to you. Um, every once in a while when I watch movies, I find myself thinking about weird stuff. And uh, one of the things that I think about when I watch movies like that in particular is I start to ask, kind of think through, like, I wonder how they made that scene. Like, I always think that. And I always think, like, I'm, how many extras did they have to get in there to fill the stadium? It gets me thinking about stuff like that. And that got me thinking about something that I thought was sort of interesting. And that is, if you look at this scene, okay, so this is like a freeze frame from that, the big epic scene where they raise Rudy up on their shoulders and everyone's kind of cheering and everything. It got me thinking about the people that are the extras. And I started thinking about this guy over here. You see him? This guy. I don't know if you can see. He probably looks like a little blur to you guys. But he's, he's a guy in a red coat. You see that guy? And I got thinking about that guy when I was watching this movie. And I thought to myself, you know, he appears in the movie for about .005 seconds. And if I started to think, I thought, I wonder what that guy's up to these days. Like, I wonder, I wonder what his story is. Like, I, you know, I know nothing about this guy. Who knows what he's doing? You know, this movie was made back in the 90s, so we don't know what he's up to. But then I started thinking, I wonder how many times that guy has paused this scene and has showed his friends, right? Like, hey, 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 wait, 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 stop. And then he's like, you see it? And his friends are probably like, you mean Rudy? And they're probably like, no, 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 that's me. <laughs> Red coat, right? I was in Rudy. And I, my, my guess, because I would do that. Wouldn't you do that? If I was in the movie, I would so do that. I would so freeze it and show people, that's me, that's me. Now, now listen, how silly would it be, just go with me on this for a second, how silly would it be if that dude honestly believed that the movie Rudy was about him? Like, how messed up would that be if you were talking to him and he was like, hey, uh, I don't know if you heard of me before, but I'm kind of a big deal. And you're like, what do you mean? He's like, well, I'm a movie star. And you're like, well, what movie were you in? He's like, you ever hear of a little movie called Rudy? And you'd be like, yeah, that was Sean Austin. And he's like, no, 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 no. Redcoat, baby. Right there. That movie is about me. Now, listen, not only would that be silly, it would also be deeply frustrating for him if he really believed that because the whole movie of Rudy would make absolutely no sense. Everything would seem unrelated. If he thought the movie was about him, he'd be like, why is any of this other stuff even happening? Because it has nothing to do with me. Now, now listen, here, here's the point that I'm trying to make. It'd be silly for this guy to think that because who's the movie Rudy about? Just tell me. It's about Rudy. What's the movie called? Rudy. What is everybody shouting at the end? Red coat. Red. No, no. Rudy. Right? That's what they're all shouting at the end of the movie. Why? Because the whole thing is about Rudy. Every scene, every character, every plot line that's happening is all pointing to this guy, Rudy Rudiker. Now, here, here's why I say all of that. I want to try to save you from a lot of frustration in this life. And I want you to understand this, that the Bible, okay, listen to this. The Bible is not a self-help book. Okay, the Bible is not, put it this way, the Bible is not about you. It's not about me. Now, it includes us, but it's not about us. The Bible is not a compilation of these really, really fascinating stories about these really good people that if we can just aspire to be more like them, then, then we'll be better off. It's not a self-help book. That's not what it's intended for. The Bible is one story. It is 66 books compiled over a total of 2,000 2, years. 
It is all explaining one story, and there is only one hero. And who is the hero? Rudy, right? now. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus is the only hero. Everything in the scriptures point to him, to our need for him, for God sending him. For he's, He is the hero. Listen, the whole thing points to Christ. Jesus said in Luke chapter 24, after he rose from the dead, he came to his disciples. And the Bible says he went through the Old Testament and he began to show his disciples how everything that was written in the law and the prophets, which would have included this story, pointed to him. He said, everything in here points to me. It's all written and it's all foreshadowing and it's all telling about and prophesying and predicting the need for me. It's all about Jesus. At the end, in the book of Revelation, what is every knee going to bow down and confess? Jesus. Jesus. The whole thing is a spotlight on him. It's all about Christ. And so listen, here's the thing. There's a danger when we read the story of Joseph because what we'll do is we'll read his story and we'll try to identify ourselves with a character. And I think the thing that we oftentimes do is we try to identify ourselves with Joseph. We read the story. I know I do this. I read the story of Joseph and I say, okay, I must be Joseph and all these crazy things that are happening in his life must represent all the crazy things that are happening in my life. And so that is the direct application is I need to be more like Joseph. And if I just try harder, then I can be more like Joseph. But that is not the point of the story. I think, I think the point when you begin to understand is this. None of us are Joseph. You're not Joseph. I'm not Joseph. We're not Joseph. Joseph was flawless. Joseph was perfect in his righteousness. Joseph forgave perfectly. I don't know about you. I'm not doing that. Are you doing that? I'm not doing that. I'm not Joseph. I'm not Joseph. Jesus is the true Joseph. In this story, if we're going to relate to any character, who are we? Who are we? We're the brothers. That's us. See, the Bible says that you and I, by our imperfection and our sin against God, we are the ones who have sold him and have sent him to the cross by our actions and by the things that we've done. And yet Jesus maintained true in his righteousness. He was righteous in a way we never could be. And it was through that act of selling him that he ultimately saved us and forgave us and accepted us and called us back into his family. And so you begin to understand that this whole story is communicating to us a need that all of us need, a more righteous one. Listen, if I, if I just told you the moral of the story of Joseph is just go and try to be more like Joseph, that would actually be very, very burdensome to you. You would leave this place and you would try for a week. You'd be like, I'm trying to be like Joseph. I'm really trying to. And then a week later, you'd come and you'd be like, that didn't work. I tried. I failed. But that's not the moral of the story. The moral of the story is you need the righteousness of another to come and save you. And it points to our need for Jesus. And it's only then, it's only when we come to this Jesus and we embrace him and we accept him that then he forgives us and he saves us and then he transforms us. And only Christ can make us into to the people he wants us to be. Only Christ can make us more like him and more like Joseph. And so the moral of the story at the end of the day is trust Jesus. Christ has saved you. He is the one who offers this forgiveness to you. And when you embrace that forgiveness and allow him to, be, to, to accept you, then he can transform you into the person he wants you to be. God is with me and he saves me.
I'm going to ask the band to come up. And as they make their way up, I thought I'd just kind of close with one final thought. And, uh, and that's this. It's kind of this. For some of you, maybe you're coming in here today. And, uh, and, and honestly, maybe if you were just being super honest, there's a lot of things in life that are burdening you. And maybe you're coming in and you're saying to yourself, you know what, man? Um, you got to understand where I've been, the things that I've done, the decisions that I've made, you're saying, I can't, I can't be like Joseph. You know, maybe some of you, maybe some of the other people in this room, you know, you got your act together and you're good people, but you don't understand what I've done and where I've been and the things I've been through. It's too late for me. I've already, I've already messed up, and so I, I guess I can't be like Joseph because I've screwed up too much. And yeah, maybe God can help you guys and God can accept some of you, but you got to understand that he could never forgive me because I'm damaged goods, man. I've, I've made mistakes. I've been places where God could never totally love me and never forgive me for the things that I've done. And if that's the case, let me just tell you this. I promise you, I promise you that Jesus' heart towards you is the same as Joseph's heart towards, to, to, towards his brothers. His brothers came to Joseph terrified that Joseph would never forgive them for the terrible things that they've done. But they, didn't, they underestimated his grace. They underestimated his mercy. I'm just telling you, for some of us, we underestimate his grace. You cannot outsing God's grace. You cannot. And so if you're coming in here and you're limping and you're saying, I don't know if God is ever going to accept me because I feel like I'm second class, you're wrong about that. You're wrong. And the story of Joseph tells us that, and the message of the cross tells us that, that Jesus wants to forgive you, and he wants to save you, and he wants to accept you, and he wants to redeem you. And he can do all of that, and he can do all of that. And the story of Joseph says all of that to us. So if you've never embraced Christ, if you have never accepted him, if you've never come to a place where you said, you know what, I've tried defining and directing life on my own, and it only leads to more messes, if you've never come to a place where you said, I want to surrender my life to Jesus, who even though I have sinned against him, he has forgiven me and he accepts me and I accept him to transform me. If you've never done that, man, I encourage you to do that today. He is here, he is present, and he wants to do that. And so just between your heart and God's heart, even in these next moments, quietly in your own chair, you can just cry out to Jesus. You could tell him, I want you to save me and accept me and forgive me, and he will. And for those of us who follow Jesus, man, this is what we celebrate. This is the God that we serve. It's, it's not by our own actions that we're saved. It's because of what Christ has done for us, the true and perfect Joseph. And so I would encourage you in these next moments as we have a chance to worship and sing and to sing loud and sing proud because we have something to sing about. The grace of God has saved us and transforms us. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I do just want to say thank you so much for the incredible reality that even though what was intended for harm and evil through the crucifixion of the Son of God was the very act by which you intended to save those who were crucifying you. And God, that is the pattern of the gospel. That is the pattern of salvation we see in the scripture, that you use the evil acts of evildoers to ultimately become the point of salvation for those who have done the evil acts. We see that in Joseph, we see that in Jesus, and that's our story as well. So thank you, Christ, that you have saved us in spite of us. Thank you that you are the true and perfect Joseph, that you were righteous all the way through, that you were tempted, but yet you were found righteous, that even in the, even in the darkest times, God, that you were faithful, and that because of your faithfulness and because of your righteousness, that we are saved. And so I pray, Jesus, that you would help us to internalize that and see it in a different way.
thank you for the incredible gift that you've given us to the gospel. And I pray that as we sing these songs together, that we would sing with a full heart, God, with a full heart, because we know what you have done for us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.